Matt, what is your best experience so far in education? Easy, mate. Must be last year when I was out in South Africa teaching as an international volunteer. Learned so much about myself, both personally and professionally. And to be honest with you, I can't wait to go out and do it again, but this time somewhere new. Well, that's ideal. I might have something right up your street, mate. I know a charity called Learn, Achieve, Become, and they've got some class projects over in Madagascar, Kenya and Central America, and they look to provide free education to children who need it most. Sounds absolutely perfect, mate. Where can I sign up? Well, firstly, go and check out their website at www.learnachievebecome.org and you can get all the information on there about their projects that they've got ongoing right now and also how to become a volunteer as well. Perfect. And where can I find them on Instagram? At learn underscore achieve underscore become. And make sure you're following at the Teachers of Tomorrow so we can guide you in the right direction if you want to become a volunteer. Hey guys, and welcome back to the latest Teachers of Tomorrow podcast episode with your co-host, Matt, soon to be Mr. Aldring. And your co-host, Sam, soon to be Mr. Gregory. And we are here to share our journey, experiences and views on all things education. Good evening, guys, and welcome back to another Teach of Tomorrow podcast episode, where today me and Sam were delighted to say we're joined by one of our previous lecturers and good friend of ours, Dr. Mark Turo-Porcel. Mark, first of all, how are you, mate? Good day. Hi, Matt. Uh, thank you very much for having me here. Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to, to see you and, and be part of this amazing project that you are immersed in. We are. We are immersed. Great word to describe it as well. We're in. <laughs> Sam, how are you, mate? How are you? How's your day? Yeah, I'm good. It's even better now than Mark on because I don't think there's a nicer guy in the whole entire world. So, was he? Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, come on. Mark. Mark. Come on. This, this wouldn't have started without you, Mark. We came to you first for advice, um, and you helped us significantly on the way, uh, which will be. I know it was, it was really. It was very nice to 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 see the birth of this of this podcast, uh, to be honest. And and this is your baby, definitely. And uh, but it feels that you know you were my students and and now your colleagues. So yeah, uh, I'm, I'm very proud claiming, of what you're doing. Mark's claiming third party rights. That's what's going on right now, Matt. No, no, no. I'm not going to claim royalties. <laughs> he can have them. Well, he it depends how famous you become. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, at this rate, not very, so I won't worry, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, like I say, delighted to have you on, mate. And yeah, you know, going from students to colleagues, as you say now, it's and, and friends, it's it's been a great journey. Um, so just before we get started, if anyone wants to get in touch with us, obviously, you know where we are, at the Teachers of Tomorrow on Instagram, um, at TFT Pod. Likewise, if you want to get in touch with Mark um, after the show or we'll follow his, his journey in on Twitter, your Twitter is... Dip, dip, dip. My, t- my Twitter account is uh, Mark Turu, but Mark is spelled with C. Yeah. And then my surname is T-U-R-U. As always, Mark, the details will be there. Social media, kings and all that will be tagging all sorts, trying to get the, trying to get the retweets and the likes. Um, but yeah, where, to start with, first of all, let's just talk about your, your journey into teaching now. It's, it's a yes. conversation that that's stuck with me probably since since we've had it to be honest with you which is right at the yeah. beginning of our um our undergraduate degree and yeah you told me that the reason why you stopped being a primary school teacher was because of how you felt as a teacher and as a person and I think it's just 
be great for you to expand what you told yeah. me from your from your journey from Spain to England and to into academia. Yes, uh, I mean, I suppose. Where do I start? Um, I've always wanted to be a, a teacher. Um, I remember being 14, 15 year old, uh, years old, and uh, I've always said that I wanted to be a teacher. And it's, and it's not because any of my relatives were teachers or, you know, um, I just had a good, a good normal upbringing, uh, good schools. And I don't know why, but I always wanted to be with, with children, being surrounded by, uh, you know, other, other teachers and, and, and trying to, to enjoy, because I've, I've always enjoyed being um, in, in school. And, and I suppose that the, particularly my primary school, which, which was a very, I suppose at the time, very alternative, because it was a mixture between a Montessori, I suppose, a Reggio Emilia type of a school as well, where, um, you know, classrooms were always open and you could go in and out of the classroom. There were no proper lessons. We had, uh, as, as pupils, we had a, a, a weekly plan that we need to, to finish, but we could do it whenever we wanted. So, for example, we had to complete oh, wow. two or three tasks on languages, two or three tasks on mathematics, etc. And and every pupil decided to do them when they wanted to do them. The rest of the day, they could do whatever they wanted. And they could oh, wow. go to other classrooms and do whatever they wanted to do there as well. On the corridors, there were, it was full of things. So uh, I really enjoyed that. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, and was that, that was that, that with you as a student, or was that with you as a teacher? As a, as a student, as a as a, oh, as okay. a child, yeah. um, and I ended up doing my PGC there actually, uh, oh, wow. because uh, obviously it was near home, but at the same time it was something that it was so different to the mainstream that we all know, and and I think that I wanted to explore that from the other side of the of the barrier, basically, uh, not yeah. as a student, but as a but as a professional, what it means and how hard it is to put those things in place, etc. And I've I've always I've always um, been on the side of uh, you know this 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 romantic idea of, of education where you prioritize happiness, you prioritize the child, and the academic side is a bit you know not at the forefront. Uh, and I suppose what you referred before about me not being able to be a, a primary school teacher, particularly in England, is this idea that we cannot be as close to our pupils as we might want to be, for example. And um, for example, if someone gets hurt, we cannot go and hug them as mm. I would probably do back in back in Catalonia, back in Spain. Um, so the relationships are slightly slightly different. And, and I'm not sure if I'd be comfortable in an environment, in an environment like that. And I think that's probably something that we all experience as males, you know, as, as a male yes. primary school teacher, that is something that yeah. naturally is, is a focal point. And for whatever reason, rightly so, you know, safeguarded, et cetera, is, is obviously important. But I think if you are a nurturing sort of type of character like yourself and, you know, someone like me is very, you know, sort of nurturing in that way is something that, you know, you, you do have to be conscious of and aware and aware of. And I think that's when you told me that for the first time, it just, it did sit with me because I, I could kind of resonate with how my teaching style and personality would be, and it would, would want to be similar to that, similar to that way. And it's, it's interesting, you know, just culturally the difference. Yeah. I, think, I mean, so I was because I think as well, what, what you've just said, talking about Montessori schools and obviously 
male teachers in, in primary schools. I mean, these are two huge subjects within primary education that can be discussed at, at length further, especially because Montessori, to, to an extent, fulfills that role more of the nurturing side. And obviously, you being a male teacher in a primary school and obviously me and Matt being a male primary, uh, primary school teaching, that brings up issues in itself. And I'm sure, I mean, even on the podcast, like me and Matt have discussed about having episodes on these things individually because they are things that need to be discussed about and they are episodes in themselves because, yeah, we could sit here for two, three hours and probably discuss both of these things. And some people might not even be aware of what a Montessori school is and it's really interesting. I mean, I, I, I knew about your transition into teaching to academia, but I didn't realise that you'd actually... Um, experience the, the Montessori uh, school type which is really really interesting to hear, to hear about mm. your experience of that. As I said before it was not a Montessori traditional it was the style it was still a, a public school a, a comprehensive so uh, publicly funded it was not a, a private like Montessori schools tend to be but but yes it was an alternative type of, mm. of, of approach because um, it was in a quite a private area where I where I used to live uh, my parents had working class, not from an affluent background, and uh, a lot of immigration from the north of Africa. And uh, that particular school decided that they needed to do something different, that they could not down the road of just purely academic, zero tolerance, tolerance policies, et cetera, et cetera. And they decided that they had to change the way. And and they did it, you know, long, long ago. I've got all the siblings and they already experienced that as well. So oh, right, uh, nice. very, very interesting, yeah. And has it been successful? I mean, obviously you are a byproduct of that, so we would say you've been successful. But yeah. I mean, you know, over, overall, is it is it known to be a successful, thriving school? Is it around, obviously, in Catalonia? Yes, I mean, we don't have leak tables as such, yeah. um, and this I suppose this is one of the things that we will discuss later on in the in the in the episode because the the discourse around education is different in Spain and and in England. And the, making comparisons, it's it's much much harder between schools, uh, but the results are good. Um, knowing the the student population that there is in schools such as this, the the one I, I went, and the outcomes that the students get in terms of performance in the equivalent SATs and behavior and outcomes when they finish primary going to secondary, it's it's good. So so yes, I was just gonna say as well talking about the comparisons between Spain and uh, obviously English schools, because you've had experience of both. Yeah. I mean, the school that you went to, yeah. was that the general consensus within the Spanish education system within primary schools, or was that sort of like a niche within education, or what else is the difference between Spanish primary schools and English primary schools? So obviously, you, you've mentioned about the, them not having lead tables, which is quite a significant factor, because it takes away, well, doesn't take away, but it stops the, the accountability process and comparing mm. schools and more focusing on the individual needs of, of schools and, and their children. So no, it's not a traditional school. It's not a mainstream school, uh, the one I just mentioned. Um, so a mainstream primary school in, in, in Spain, uh, it's more relaxed than a, than a primary school in, in England. And although there is focus on uh, the academic side there is also quite a lot of focus on the other subjects and the wider life 
of the children in 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 the school, and so some key differences. And I, I suppose I'll, I'll I'll go back to why I, I moved to the UK in the first place, and because it links very very nicely with yeah. what we're discussing right now. So uh, after a few years in in primary education, I was special education, and it's uh, working in, in special education needs within a mainstream primary school as an educational psychologist as well. And I wanted to climb a bit more the ladder, and I wanted to. Uh, to potentially uh, try to get for a headship. But to go for that, I would have had to fight all the teachers, fight, you know, uh, because they're elected in Spain, the, uh, the head teachers, they're not appointed by the governors, they're elected among the teaching, the teaching population. And sometimes oh, that wow. gets a bit political. Uh, and I didn't want to do that. Um, yeah. So, and some other things that at, the, at that time, I'm talking about, uh, when was that? 2013, probably, or something like that. Um, at that time, I had in mind is that in Spain, we were not professional enough as teachers. That, that was what I thought, okay? Yeah. Uh, because it was, there was too much flexibility around uh, teaching methods and about around assessments and around meetings and around how schools are run. It was too casual, in my opinion, at that, at that time, again, yeah. at that time. And then I thought, you know, England, that the, the standard for professionalism, right? And that's <laughs> why I came, that's, that's, that's what I thought at the very least. And that's why I came to the UK and, and did a master's in, in educational leadership at the uh, University of Birmingham. And then is when the, I realized that not, not everything that Chinese is great. <laughs> and, 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 and I, you know, I experienced what we were talking some before about accountability, uh, punishment and rewards, and a quite strict approach to, to education. Uh, so some key differences, for, for example, it, it's very weird to me when someone says Mr. Turu or Dr. Turu. To me, that's my dad. And in, <laughs> in Spain, when you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, when you talk to, to, to a teacher, you, you say, Matt, Sam, I need help. Nice. Yeah, that, that, that's it. We don't wear uniforms except in very private schools. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you can wear, wear whatever you want. There are some, you know, standards. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but you can wear. I, I, as a teacher, I, I, in the summer, which, which is really hot, I, I used to wear shorts and flip-flops because it was that hot. Oh, so, oh dream. Uh, um, yeah, it was. It, it, it's quite quite casual in that in that sense, and we know that that doesn't affect learning at all. You yeah. know what you're wearing, so it's it's less strict in that in that sense. You know, and uh, among other differences, obviously that we can we can discuss if if you want as well. And I suppose you you mentioned a key point there. Before we move on to your sort of career in academia so far and your transition and and the research you've been working on you yeah. mentioned um the focus on the wider you know wider life and i think you talking yeah. about the the flexibility of lessons the autonomy of of the teaching the casualness in terms of how they speak how you speak to your um, pupils how how you dress i'm assuming that is what goes towards or kind of the wider life of school, you know, they they look at that and and they sort of say, right, well, if our children feel comfortable around our teachers, comfortable enough that they can talk to them in a first name basis, comfortable enough that they can they can come into school in their own clothing and and within reason, and the teachers come to school in their own clothing. I'm assuming that they they it strengthens the relationship with your with your class almost, and mm. I'm assuming is. Uh, it's just a more trusting relationship. So when you're when you are teaching them, I guess they I would have thought that they would respond better to 
to learning. Mm. I mean, we, we know that trust, respect and authority don't come with titles or uh, wearing suits. We know that. It's an attitude, isn't it? Mm. So you can have someone wearing shorts and flip-flops and uh, and you know, fully respect them and believe everything they're telling you and, and just, you know, believing in that teacher and someone wearing a, a, a suit and you having to call them whatever their title is and then you think you don't believe in them. So uh, I, I don't think it has anything to do, you know, these, these additional uh, aspects that in, in, in countryside such as England are, are added, like, like uniforms or like, you know, having, uh, treating people by, by, by title, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's it is more of a traditional approach, I guess, and it's just mm. it's just it's great to listen to your experience in Spain because again, it's it's a lot of experience that people won't won't ever have. So it's just great yeah. to get your sort of first hand experience of that difference and something different and a different approach to education, which is well, you would know me and Sam better than most in terms of our thoughts and. The reason why we would wanted to do the podcast is to sort of mm. compare and share them different experiences of education because yeah. it can always change and it can always be different and everyone's got their own viewpoint and perspective on the best way to do it and it's just yeah. it's just great to hear the variety of ways and the variety of, of opinions and experiences. Yes, definitely, and 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 I think that this links very well with um, the research that I've been conducting so far, which is. Uh, in in mentoring and uh, newly qualified teachers, but basically is a, is around the, the area of discourse and different understandings of what education is, what what good teaching is, what being prepared to teach is, etc. And obviously, different contexts, uh, like you know, countries or different different regions within within countries, they have different understandings and different policies towards what good education, good teaching, good learning is and and and, and looks like. Uh, and it's and, and what's important, I suppose, is to understand, I always say this, teaching, teaching and education is a political activity. Teaching and education, th- these things don't grow on trees. They're not natural. They're human creations, aren't they? So they are what, they want, that, what we want them to be. So let's not believe that our current understanding is the right one and have a, an open mind and try to uh, to be flexible and, and listen to other people uh, because we'll always learn and and perhaps we'll you know other people will open our eyes to other ways of approaching education which is which is which is ideal because it's for the yeah. benefit of of the children and the society uh, as a whole we're certainly experiencing that obviously Sam. The just just listening listening and learning constantly we are we are certainly experiencing that yeah and just just following on from what max just said he's given just a brief insight to his research oh well his, his most recent research and since me and matt have embarked on our pgc journeys uh, mark's actually become a do- doctor in within his field and due to the research that is conducted which is fascinating and I'd like to ask you in a minute just to give, again, just a brief overview of what that research ha- has entailed. And for us as well, it's really exciting to have you on the podcast because your research directly impacts us, but also as well, many other people who are trainee teachers. And it's just it's just a fascinating uh, insight to what education can be and how we as student teachers can prepare ourselves and be ready for the challenges that 
that come across and, and the right relationships that we need that we need to to make within education in, in our training years essentially because you've already mentioned about different dis- discourse yeah before we go explain discourse because I have done a degree with you and I'm still I'm still not 100% <laughs> and sure that, no it, that, that was on purpose we've not discussed that in uh, in, in the degree because I think it, 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 it should come after probably at the postgrad level uh, I'll, I'll briefly summarize the main idea of the, the research that I conducted for my PhD and then I'll, I'll introduce the idea of this course so um, I've always been interested in professional learning in professional development in CPDs I, I used to do it in Spain try to help other teachers, particularly because as an educational psychologist as well, I was very interested in behavior, in how to deal with, with behavior, how to manage behavior, you know, trying to avoid zero tolerance policies and, and having a more restorative approach. So uh, I've always I've always been interested in, 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 this, in this idea of professional development and, and in, in the UK because, no, sorry, not in the UK, in England, because of how the teacher training system is set up is, is so fascinating, is so unique and uh, with so many different ways of becoming teachers or becoming qualified as a teacher, I wanted to explore that a bit a bit more. And one of the things that uh, is one of the highlights is that school teachers, you can you can do a, a degree in, uh, you know, in, in education, you can do a degree that leads to a QTS, but it's actually the, the, the school mentor who assigns your qualification as a teacher. Right, yeah. so it's the, the last the last judge in your in your journey, right? And I wanted to explore what those mentors understood, understood that preparedness was. So, what's preparedness according to them? What is to be prepared according to these mentors? Because basically, they'll use that knowledge or that understanding of preparedness to judge you guys. Yeah, and ultimately. I guess that depends on their experience as well, because surely that would be different for every mentor, I'm, I'm assuming. Well, that's, that's something that I wanted to explore, because obviously uh, there are regulations, there is policy, there are laws that are set up by state and, and, and the government, etc. And they are not completely free. And one of the things, and the, here is where I introduced the idea of this course, one of the things that I, I'm interested in is in, in the idea of this course. This course, uh, very briefly, is a very complex, it's a very complex concept, but very briefly is a is a framework of thinking. So we need to differentiate between discourse and, and conversation. In the in common language, discourse is about uh, just talking, people talking is conversation. In academia, it tends to be something different. Okay, there are different strands, but usually it means it's a framework of thinking. Is ideas, concepts, metaphors, groups of of uh, concepts and ideas and, and and nouns and verbs and and language itself that all together are coherent and give the same idea, and that allow us to think and and portray things in a particular fashion. And one of the the characteristics of the of this course is that it it allows us to see things. So, for example, until the idea of racism was discussed for the first time, no one could think that people were discriminated because of the race, because racism didn't exist. The word racism didn't exist, right? Yeah. So uh, when when that that concept was created, it allows us. To, to see that that was a thing, right? Yeah. So that's part of the discourse. At the same time, 
unfortunately, these courses constrain our thinking. And if we are immersed in a very particular discourse, we'll disregard the rest. So we'll you get narrow-minded. Narrow-minded. Yes. It's, so it's this duality of being productive and restrictive at the same at the same time. And there are discourses that are more powerful, more dominant than, than others. And one of the problems with this is that these powerful discourses tend to become common sense, what people uh, think that is common sense, and the others is like, no, you're talking crazy when, when you're using another discourse. Uh, something that I always... I, I always give as, as an example, do children need to ask for permission when they go to the toilet? I, in my opinion, I, they don't. Yeah. So for some people, uh, teachers always have to have the power in the classroom and control everything, know where children are doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And for some people, we would say, you're talking, you're talking nonsense. Of course, the yeah. children should not be allowed to do whatever they want in the classroom and go outside the classroom whenever they want. So, this course is this idea, is this framework of mind, framework of, of ideas that allow us to think in a very particular way and at the same time constrained by, you know, thinking about other, other different things. I feel like you've explained, you've explained that in its simplest possible terms. And I've I actually, tried, I tried, I've, yeah. yeah, you've done very well because I've, I feel like I've, I've grasped it, which I didn't think I would be able to, but it's... You know what the game changer in that was? Your, your example of using the toilet, to be fair. I've got it now. We still struggling <laughs> the whole way through because that was literally the last five seconds of that. So for the, <laughs> okay. the other five, the other five minutes, Sam, you must have been there just like, what is he going on about? I was so honestly. Well, I'll, I'll explain a bit more about my research and I hope that then with the examples I'm going to give, um, I'll, I'll try to clarify a bit more and put yeah. it in a, in, a, in, a better, in a better light. No, no, no you was, have, you have, was, you have. It was great. Anyway, don't worry. We're just, we're just thick. We're just thick people, so don't worry about it, Mark. No, you're not. Um, so what I what I'm thinking is what you've said is it's a certain factors that are maybe external or certain mm-hmm. influences that are away from the person that allow someone to think think a certain way. So if I was thinking about education should be a neoliberal way, yeah. for example, that yeah that could be shaped based on the policy that's in place, the influence from the teachers that are already in place, my lecturers telling me that that's right and research telling me that's right. So then if I turn around and say, well, I don't think it should be like that, I would look to the weird one. Would that be an example of discourse? Before you answer that, Mark, before you answer that, let me put my place forward and then you can see if we both have gone come to grips with um discourse so my understanding of it was that someone uh thinks a certain way and a certain discourse will allow them to see things in a different way or they won't be able to see different um another perspective because they'll just have this narrow mind which is which like matt said has been developed through these external uh, influences like policy, government, or the experiences. But discourse, in there's different types of discourse. So one type might allow you to see other things from other people, which would develop yourself. Or there's another type of discourse whereby you're narrow-minded and you will only go off what you think and what you've seen. The moment of truth. Yes, you you, you both that right in that in that regard guys um so as, as you guys it have said there. we're immersed in different discourses we're 
we are we are not uh, constrained in one discourse. We are drawing from different discourses that are around us. And as you guys have said, it's policy, it's media, it's friends, it's family, it's our background, it's our ethnicity, it's our sexuality, it's it's our friendships. All of this influences the way we think, and because all of this is discourse, uh, it, 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 it frames and it allows us to think certain things and prevents us to think different things at, at the same time. So yeah, it, I think I think discourse is is, is something that uh, it's becoming more and more important. It, it's it's a big field within within academia, uh, particularly the, the critical discourse analysis branch because it it analy- it analyzes power and power relationships where these discourses come from, basically who establishes them, uh, and how to disrupt them, basically to try to overcome and, and break this common sense that is it it, it just prevents from advancing and and, and, and improving so was yeah that, was, that a, was that a p- particular book you just said there was that a particular book or no no, no it's not it's not it's not a book is it's a it's a branch of of, ah, okay. of discourse or or you know research in discourse yeah, yeah. critical critical discourse analysis so anything in academia that has the word critical is is about power power relationships ah, okay. and in this case it's about where these dominant discourses come from basically yeah. And, and trying to to disrupt them basically, so we can disrupt them and, and, and try to uh, break them down a little bit, uh, so other other discourses can 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 come in. Just on that, and you talking about discourses, and I'm going into a bit of theory here with your research. Yeah. Well, have have you linked yeah. it to theory? So you, what you're talking about there, like discourses with influences from other people and stuff. Are you relating to, for example, like the ecological system of maybe a teacher or a child or like agencies or, or, or field? Have you? Is that you definitely use that in one of your assignments and you've just dragged that out of nowhere. You know what? You've never just plucked that out of thin air. You've definitely used that in one of your assignments before. 100%. <laughs> Mark will know this. Level four, how children learn. I. Right? How much of a blad that was. I don't want to know how children learn again. I don't want to know that assignment. I knew it would come in handy. I can now have conversation with Mark. I'm happy. (laughs) You 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 have always been able to have a conversation with me. (laughs) Uh, So so the the idea of this course is discourse is a lens we use a a, a, a a lens like that in some cases it allows us to see better but at the same time it prevents to see other things so that discourse and yes it affects what we teach how we teach who we are agency learning learners relationships it affects everything it affects everything brilliant i'm all discoursed out now so we're going to move on to the to the nitty-gritty we're going to move on to your research that you've conducted now you've mentioned it a few times now you've worked on the relationships between mentors and, and nqts particularly and and how that what is preparedness you know yeah by all accounts that's what you were focusing on so could you elaborate kind of a bit more in terms of what you were hoping to find and what you actually did find you know what were the implications from your your doctorate yeah. So as, as I said at the, at the beginning, uh, I was interested in how uh, mentors conceptualize or understood the idea of preparedness. Okay. Uh, and I interviewed several uh, mentors from the north of England, different primary schools, some secondary schools that I did not use in the, in the PhD eventually, but 
uh, were part of the sample as well. And then I did um, a discourse analysis, which is a different type of, of analysis uh, of, of data. And I, I wanted to basically, I wanted to explore and analyze the different aspects that were valued, right? And the yeah. aspects that were not valued in terms of preparedness. Okay, so what's important according to them and what they think that it was not important. And once we have the, the values, the, the aspects that are valued and the aspects that are not valued, we can try to put them together and understand if those those aspects belong to a particular discourse or, or the different discourses. Okay, and I expected at the beginning, uh, because if you ask a teacher, most teachers will say, uh, yes, I want to, to my, you know, that my pupils to be happy, to grow, to help them be whatever they want, a very holistic approach to education. I expected what I call a romantic approach, this very old-fashioned idea that uh, it, it's more of a maternal approach to education in which, you know, traditionally um, uh, women have been teachers and it was not thought to be a, a profession for, for men. And I expected to find some of that, uh, quite a lot of a nurturing approach, uh, feelings, you know, looking after the, the feelings, emotions of yeah. the children, etc., etc. At the same time, I expected some uh, instrumentalist approach or technical approach to, to teaching and learning in which there's this idea of causality. If I apply a uh, technique X, uh, people will learn Y, etc., which is based on medical models as well. And this was what I basically expected to, to find. But obviously this was based on my experience in the country and uh, my own personal biases, not not not, yeah. not based on on anything else, and conversations with 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 teachers. So after doing the research, what I what I found is that this romantic discourse uh, was not did not appear at all in oh, the really? accounts of of those teachers. Yes, oh, wow, and wow. it was pretty much based on a technical approach to teaching and learning. And and surprisingly, I was not expecting that, but now on, on hindsight, I. I don't know why I did not see it coming, is <laughs> um, a, a managerial approach. So basically, uh, mentors drew from technical discourses and managerial discourses, and a little bit from a research discourse. And these were, but, but basically, the dominant discourse was a technical, instrumental discourse. Mm -hmm. within, this, within this discourse, the, one of the main understandings is that there is a, a direct link within, between teaching and learning. So as I, as I said, um, you teach why people will learn uh, that. And as I said, again, this yeah. is based on medical medical models, right? Where doctors identify, medical doctors identify a book, a virus or whatever. And one, once that is, is identified, we give them a, a tablet and that tablet 100% of the time will, will, will sort it out. Very rigid yeah, approach. And, and, yes. And some people think that teachers should be like doctors. So we should identify what the problem is and apply Look in the book, what's the technique to solve that problem? Yeah. The people, and some people, particular people who's not in education, don't understand that we don't deal with viruses. We deal, we deal with human beings yeah. who have emotions, who have feelings, who are all different. And it doesn't matter uh, because the same child, one day and the, and the next, they will react differently to the same think so it can this uh, instrumentalist discourse this technical discourse is uh, falls short 
in, in yeah. education. I'm not saying that it, it not has its ben some benefits, but it, it falls short in, in, in that sense. But this is was was one of the, the main the main uh, the main findings um, and, and and other things that were related to the instrumental in this the instrumentalist discourse are this idea obviously that having a rigid national curriculum that needs to be delivered no mm -hmm. matter what and that that's the right way and that's the right content basically um, as well that there are certain techniques that need to be applied uh, because. Are you, are you talking about things like differentiation techniques and um, timing of teaching and timing of lessons and things like that? Is that what you're referring to? Yes, very, very strict approach to teaching and learning. And particularly, and, and this is something that since I have introduced more in, in my teaching, in my reflections as well, is the difference, the difference between evidence-based teaching, which is based on evidence-based uh, medicine, and evidence-influenced teaching. And I know that's just a little word, but it makes a lot of it, it, it's a it's a huge different ballgame. Evidence-based teaching and based on evidence-based medicine is this idea that I have identified a problem, I look in the book, I look at research, research shows that this is the most effective technique to solve that. So I need to apply that no matter what, blindly. Evidence influence. Uh, evidence-influenced teaching is this idea, okay, I need to look into, into what research shows, but I will not apply it blindly. Yeah. I'll, try to, I'll try to think if that will work within my context or might not work within my context, and I will consider other things as well. And because not, not everything that has been found to be effective might be the right thing for our children. And sometimes I give this example to, to, to my students, is um, if, I, if I told you, Imagine that you want to reduce um, disruption, uh, misbehavior in your classroom. And I told you that teaching technique A reduces uh, misbehavior 50%. And teaching technique B reduces misbehavior 100%. So you will not have misbehavior. So if you are doing evidence-based teaching, you will choose B. B yeah. But if I told you that uh, B was putting tape in children's mouths and tightening them on the on their chairs, you would say, "Well, we shouldn't do that." Yeah. Right. So we cannot apply things blindly. We need to. Obviously, this is an extreme example. Yeah. But we need to. We can't apply things blindly. We are people, and we need to judge the situation as well. Of yeah, exactly, exactly, definitely. And this is one of the problems with understanding that teaching is a is a is just a technique. It's not. It's we make judgments every single second of our life when we're in the classroom with children or, or, or teaching. And values are important. Values are so, so important. And, and sometimes I feel that they're, they're losing its place, their, their place in, in, in our judgment. We, 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 need, we need to be political as teachers as well. We are humans, we have our values and, we need, and they need to be part of, of who we are and who we are as teachers as well. I've just got a couple of questions on, on things that, that you said. So originally you said uh, with your research that you expected to see a more romantic approach um, yeah. to maternal punch because traditionally, as we know, especially in primary school, uh, a lot of the teachers were predominantly female-based. Yeah. Do you feel like, because obviously you answered partly to this next question, this rigid approach that, that you've spoken about, obviously you've yeah. spoken about the curriculum, how much of an influence do you think male primary school teachers have had maybe in this rigid approach? And also as well, statistically, we know as well that more males are part of SLT 
than probably um, in in comparison percentage wise to to female proportion teachers. wise. Mm. Yeah, do, do you think this has influenced the change away maybe from more holistic approach and more of a rigid approach whereby we're thinking this needs to happen because of this? Is your research indicated any of that or? This isn't, what I'm going to say is not part of the research because I'm not, I did not look at the historical uh, origins of, of these courses, but the little I know, I would say no. The answer is no. I don't think these changes come from within the educational community they they were they are imposed by or they were imposed by changes in policy political in political structures yes yeah. particularly and i'm talking about probably early 70s early early 70s 80s okay yeah. where when the national curriculum obviously we're talking about eight, 1988 uh, under Thatcher that was introduced but before that the political the political discourse change change towards a more it's well you know England is one oh, of the based. most liberal neoliberal yeah. countries in the world probably just after uh, the US and because that change in which you know everything was privatized you know uh, transport uh, energy everything is is privatized uh, mm-hmm. ever since and and the, the the last couple of things that have not been privatized and fingers crossed that they want is education and the NHS and there are some signs that it might happen um, and I think that it comes from 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 then uh, so a, a more the understanding that public services should be run as private businesses and in order to run as a private businesses people need to be accountable for what they do and accountable down to to numbers not to values not to anything else so and i, I that's why i think that these discourses have have been introduced in in education uh, from from other spheres of the social life and it sounds quite generational as well it sounds quite generational you know you're saying this this is a result of 25 30 years ago yeah. and that, and you would think that the, the children at that time that were going through that system, they're probably, if they are teachers, they would have been a product of that environment. So naturally, along with the policy, their values yeah. would, would naturally yeah. probably align with, yeah. with, that, with that way of teaching. Yes, definitely. And, and this is what, one of the things that we were talking about, this, this, this idea that this course becomes common sense. And uh, one of the things that... Um, is quite characteristic of, of the education system in England is, is parental choice. Parents are treated as customers and schools need to please them, need to attract them. They're, they're, they're customers. The more they have, the better, right? Even we, we talk about these words, even the Department for Education, and we hear these words a lot, competition, uh, accountability, performance, and this comes from the managerial discourse, from, from the businesses, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and it has become a norm or, or common sense to think that yes, parents should have a choice and, and that's not the only alternative. There are countries where parents don't choose where the, their children go to school. If the parents want their children to go to a, a public system, the, the public system will tell them where to send them. Oh, okay. And in, and in those contexts, it's not crazy to do that. In, yeah. in England, because the discourse, is, the discourse we have, it is crazy to think that. And I think Matt mentioned a really interesting point there about this stemming, exchange. From <laughs> this, this stemming from about 30 years ago and people aligning with, the, with those views and having those certain discourses. And we've had episodes with Professor Jonathan Glazard, who's spoken about the importance of uh, a positive 
whole school environment. And also yeah. we've we, we've discussed as well high teacher turnover, especially in the in, in the first year, but also as well for, for trainee teachers. Do you feel like with us as modern teachers and young teachers as well coming into professions, our so-called discourses are not uh, perceived as common sense? And is that why there is such a high turnover of teachers because they simply just don't fit the the common mold of, of what teachers should be thinking and, and their process? That's a good question. Um, and I can't give you a definite answer, definitely, because I don't know. I know that the turnover in England is higher than the turnover in Wales, Northern Ireland or Scotland. And that is a sign of something. Policy. Uh, Policy uh, and attitude towards education. That's my view from the minimal research mm, I've done. Mm. But you could look at them free. They all have cross-curricular, autonomous, holistic mm. focus towards a cultural approach to their education system. And obviously there's going to be thing, but their approach is the complete opposite to ours in terms of our policy structure and in terms of their their attitude towards it ideologically. And, and if we're saying that turnover is high in England, mm. that to me just is an alarm bell straight away because them three have a lot in common. If you study their, their policy and their structure and their teacher training, it's very similar to each other. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yes, you're, you're potentially right. Um, um, I, I've, I've analysed Scotland stand, teaching standards, how, to, uh, how the trainee teachers as well are, are assessed, etc. And it seems a bit less technical than in than in England uh, and I, I I think that and that's my opinion they're, they're understand in Scotland the understanding is that teaching is a more research on uh, an, an intellectual profession than uh, in in England and that might be one of one of the reasons yes I know that the workload is different is different I know that number of pupils is probably different yeah, to yeah probably prob- yeah and because the curriculum is different as well. The the pressure to perform SATs, etc., and if those things don't sit very well with uh, with your values, you might not be very happy in 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 the system. With with this, I don't want to discourage anyone. Uh, we, we need we yeah. need, <laughs> we need you all guys to be able to to make a difference definitely. And if we only have those who believe the same in the system that's 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 going to limit the, the the future development of our society and it's it's not going to be it's not going to be in the benefit of any one of us i think it will be a change i think there will be a change i know you'll probably back me up sam but i think there will be a generational shift it's like with um when we had damien we were talking about wider wider social issues in education yeah. and yeah. The, the change towards the BLM movement and, and racial yeah. inequality, the changes towards LGBTQ plus and the, and the attitudes towards that. And I think we won't really see the true benefits of that for another 20 years. We won't see the difference in people's attitudes towards it until 20, 20 odd years, because, yeah. you know, as the cycle goes, the children that have gone through are going through a system now and a, and a, and a time now where 
it's very much at the forefront of discussion. Um, and we are encouraged, and rightly so, to be more open-minded, to be more accepting, to be more liberal in them areas and more sustainable. Mm. So naturally, yeah. I would have thought that the attitudes in 20 years' time would reflect that. And I'm sure that that's probably reflective in, in your research with discourse towards mentorship and preparedness. Yes, no, definitely. I mean, although I said that uh, this mentor is constructed using particularly ideas from managerial and instrumentalist discourse, uh, they did not agree with them. And they were aware what, of what they were doing, which okay. is, is, is uh, quite interesting. There's a, a, is that a, better or worse? To me, it's better. To me, it's better because I'm not very... Fan. I'm not much of a fan of just pulling ideas from these two discourses. So at the very least, if someone knows what they're doing, at the very least, they'll be able to incorporate little things from from other from other places. Uh, there's a there's a, a fantastic academic in in York. He's Australian, Clarky, and uh, Cla- Clarky about... is that his name? Just Clarky. Clarky yes. Oh, no. Matthew, so Matthew, uh, yeah. Matthew Clarky. Sorry. Sorry. Matthew Clarky. I think I'll, he talks. I thought uh, you were saying as like a mate. Like, oh, I'm a mate Clarky. No, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> academics, we only talk about, you know, we only name the, the, the family name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, no, but what I was saying is that he, he's done work on reluctant compliance which I think is a very interesting way of putting it, reluctant compliance. And it's this idea that we're complying with the demands of policy, of state, our teachers, parents, but we are doing it reluctantly. And there's, a quite, there's quite a lot of research around, around this topic now. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's very interesting because it, this is linked to agency, obviously, because you're doing things that you don't believe in. It's, uh, it's linked to resilience. If you, wanna, uh, if you want to <laughs> last in a profession, yeah. <laughs> if you wanna last in a profession that is, is you know, going or you know, rowing against what you believe in, etc. So, so, yeah. Is, it, is this the case, though? Because... I mean, obviously, there, there, there's, there's research around it. And surely, if, if this is what people were generally thinking as a general consensus, especially in education, why has there not been major changes or major uproar with how education is at the moment? Again, this is not part of my research. I can talk about my personal opinion. And, and education in, in polarised countries like most in, in, in Europe, and I'm talking about England, France, Germany, Spain, Italy, not the non- Norwegian, not, uh, the, not, not, not the Scandinavian, not, yeah, not, yeah. not those. They, in those <laughs> countries, I don't know why, they agree. They, <laughs> yeah. You know, all political parties, they think, no, education is something important, right? So let's agree. <laughs> and yeah, you know, in, I, think it was, I think it's in Finland, they had in the last 40, 50 years, like two or three, general laws in education that's it and because they agreed all parties agreed that that's important that's a priority for the country and that's it in most countries every time that there's an election there's a new policy there's new law there's new and they change everything again new teaching standards new national curriculum new everything they they, that's because they never work that's why that's because they never work because they're not well because there's no consensus because there's no consensus exactly yeah yeah yes exactly it's about the next election and and is it's very easy to blame 
it's very easy to blame teachers. Uh, and one of the problems in England uh, that is not the case in Scotland, for example, is, and th this is my opinion, I think uh, there's no national college for teachers. So the same way that medical doctors, they have a college of doctors. So doctors are, uh, medical doctors are self-regulated uh, in, in teaching, this, this, that doesn't exist. There's no national college. There's no teaching association where all teachers need to be registered or something like that. Every teacher is, is a subject. So it's really difficult as a subject to, to make a change at the national level. If there was a, a teaching association that incorporated all the teachers in the country, so you would have to be registered with them, that association be, would be really powerful. Yeah. And for example, their job would be to, to set the teaching standards and who is considered a good teacher and who is not. But that should come from within the profession, in my, in my opinion. They tried to do something like that with the teaching standards, and it was very funny. And that's very funny because most of these things, uh, you know, you can, if you go into the detail, you'll realize how they how they the government did it. So the teaching standards of 2011, the not teaching the teacher standards of 2011, the the, the ones with those eight standards, mm -hmm. uh, they were meant to come from within the profession. But if you actually, that's a good exercise for you guys. Have a look who sat on the committee basically deciding what the teacher standards would be. And you'll realize, oh, why these people are here? Who chose these people to be here? Why it, are, go on. Was it Michael Gold? Because wasn't the roles review based within professionals and, and, and educators? And then he, when he got elected to be the education secretary, didn't he pretty much sack off the report and then hired his own people to do an own independent review? And that's how that the curriculum came about from him and his own research in inverted commas was that not how the teacher standards came about was he not part of that committee i can't remember if it was under gove it, it probably was under gove in 2011 and um, but the committee who the, the working committee who decided what the the, the detail of the teacher standards was uh, it was composed by several people so i i'd like you to to have a look who these yeah. people were I'm gonna to have to you find know. out because this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a long research. It's project. not. It's not. It's not easy to find that document. No, but I, I, think it's, I think it's a war. Yeah, you'll be you'll be able to find it. That? Is there a reason? Yeah, why there will be a reason. For... Hard to find. <laughs> but it's yes, yes. But it is interesting yeah. though because it links really well with what um, Rachel Lofthouse is doing with the collective ed and yeah. bringing together people from different walks of education and using yeah. each other's knowledge and skill set and values you know talking about and discussing them bringing them together and hopefully creating a more forward thinking knowledge base or sharing knowledge bases that that will influence uh, you know a greater cause and that's that example of what you're saying with um, countries like finland and and in scandinavia that that approach i know when i did my research on my dissertation and i did it on finland at yeah. One of the things that I wrote about was that they recently in like 2014 had a, had a reshift of their committee and basically drew in information from and, and experiences and views from teachers, parents, head teachers, academics, government officials as one big committee. And obviously that is supporting your, you know, what you're saying with it leading to a successful education system and <laughs> like you say it's it's 
baffling that there's not more people doing it. I don't know why. <laughs> no, it just doesn't make sense, really. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It must be probably, as Sam was saying before, because it, uh, in the short term, it pays off in the, the following elections, probably. There's actually a really good um, podcast, which I was trying to find. It's on, um, I don't know if you know, Lovejoy podcast, you know, Tim Lovejoy? You must have heard of him. Oh, yeah, ex-Soccer uh, AM geezer. Yeah, yeah, he does like um, Sunday brunch, but he has a podcast, a lot bigger than ours, a lot better than ours. But he um, he had ever. a, I listened to an episode with him and this American guy, I need to find out, but he's um he's like a political, American political advisor or something. And he, the whole episode was based around long-term thinking. And it mm-hmm. talks about how we as humans we only think short term. So we can't think longer than five, 10 years rather than thinking like in the old days when they used to build construction, look at a cathedral in Barcelona, for example, the Basilica, is that what it's called? Basilica, yeah. Basilica, yeah. That's taken 250 years and that will last hundreds of hundreds of thousands of years, just like the Greeks when they built that structures, they lasted, they were built to last thousands of years because they thought Mm. long-term. Whereas we in the modern world, don't think long term we only think short term and I'll, I'll have to try and find the name but it's it's a fascinating interview what he was talking about and it and it's exactly what we've we've just mentioned there you know with mm. with the short-term thinking with education I thought we just it linked quite well we've definitely gone off tangent but I was just enjoying the conversation so I wanted to carry no, on I was, <laughs> I, was, I was just gonna say I feel like we've diverged from Mark's research we've spoken about other research we've gone, we've gone to the, the Greeks the yeah. Spain but what, what I quite like to, to go back to is um, you, you don't you don't choose to do a doctor a doctorate for fun without like an end goal essentially. So with your research in mind, Matt, what what is it that you hope to achieve from it? Do you want more research to be done in this area? And what are the implications of your findings? Do you feel like they're going to make a difference? Well, yes, and uh, th- th- there were several reasons to to do this this uh, this PhD this this research. One was uh, for me to obviously to end up working at, at university level, uh, but at the same time, I want this to be part of my area of expertise uh, because, as I said before, I'm interested in professional development, in mentoring, in 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 helping others to to advance their careers, to become better, to think about other things, to be more critical, etc. And, uh, and at the very least, I hope that uh, with the papers that I've published and uh, the conferences that I've been sharing this, uh, these ideas and the professionals that gave their time to be part of this research, uh, I hope that at least, uh, even if it's to a small community, it, it helped them to to see at the very least what they were doing and the, to, to be able to do something to do something uh, about about it. Before you go into your implications of yeah. the findings, I just want to say that having been taught by you, and I know Sam will agree with me, I couldn't think of a more appropriate research field for you to go into. That is, <laughs> that is you down to a T because you, throughout our degree, you were constantly helpful throughout always made time for for any student and I think you to go into that that research field you know focusing on teaching development and professional development I think is the most appropriate for you as just as a person so take that from that what you will from from just me but I would say that's whoever whoever is going to get you know conversations from you and advice and work with you is going to benefit greatly do you know do you know what the mad thing is do you know what the mad thing is as well 
I've written down on my notes as we've been uh, going on about mentioning uh, how good Mark is as a person and what a guy <laughs> he is. But also as well, just literally what Matt said early on in, in, in the lecture, to sum you up as a person, you had no right effectively to help us with our podcast. You you had stacks of work on with university, changing online, COVID going on and dissertation and you, you found the time to, to help us and. I don't think we, me and Matt, just speak for us. I think we speak for the whole whole co- cohort of last year, and they reflected because we, what we've done in, in previous um, podcasts, Matt, we've actually reeled off some of uh, the people's achievements and stuff. And I think it's only fair that people understand that <laughs> we speak of you. We speak of you so highly because actually last year you were voted to uh, for the best lecture in in the university that you work at and Golden Rover to you. Golden yeah, Rover, so, there he is. And we've, and we've already said we, we, we expect you to wear the, um, to win the um, the Nobel Peace Prize next year. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's only, it's only a lot. Thank you, guys. Time. Yeah, you're very uh, nice. And um, you can duck us that that twenty quid whenever you want, Mark. All right, don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Sam touched on sort of what you hope to do in the future and you know the results of your findings what yeah you obviously in terms of creating your original sort of feedback and what you hope to do moving forward what is it that you've taken from that research and the findings and you've thought that you can implement to or would like to implement to to have a positive effect have a change in what you're in what you found yeah so a couple a couple of things um Obviously, on my thesis, I had to discuss plenty of things from policy to uh, to personal reflection to mm. initial teacher education. But I think that knowing that mentors are forced, even reluctantly, to construct and, and, and to understand that preparedness is an instrumental uh, position or is a managerial position in in initial teacher education, the courses that we do at university or the, 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 the preparation before we go into the mentoring phase, we should make sure that we give enough focus to the intellectuality and to the value based of um, teaching. And therefore, um, research uh, should be more important in what we're doing, being more critical, incorporating more social issues, more social justice, more social inclusion, uh, that sometimes is not as at the forefront of what it, what it should be, because at the same time, um, QTS courses are somehow framed by Ofsted as well, but I think that if everything is pointing towards the same direction, we are missing a lot. We will yeah. we'll only be on one lane and that's it. Um, and that's going to leave quite a lot of people behind, basically. Uh, so, yes, yeah. one, one of the things is, is this one, that in, in, in cor- initial teacher education courses, we should incorporate uh, appraisal of the self, talking about teachers as agentic uh, individuals with values. And we need to explore those values and make sure that we understand that who we are influences the way we teach. It's and not our teaching methods are not valueless. That sort of mirrors what Rachel was saying the other day on on her episode. She said exactly yeah. the same thing. You your values shape naturally how you teach and 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 the way you want to teach and what you want your children to learn and become. And it's it's true. You know, it's absolutely true. Me and Sam are a prime example. We 
we've obviously got very similar views in education, but there'll be ways that we both teach, which will be completely different. And that will be down to mm. our personalities, our, our likes and interests. I obviously love geography and things like that. Sam's big on PE. So naturally the way I teach will, will be more based around cultural things and, and humanities aspects of things, because I want to integrate them more naturally in my, in my teaching uh, across the board. Whereas Sam will probably be far more active in his, his teaching and, and, and the lessons that he teaches his children. And that's just because of who we are, not because of what we want to achieve, but because of just who yep. we are as people. I'm sure you might, you might disagree. You might agree, Sam, who knows? <laughs> oh, I, I, no, to be fair, I, I, I to- totally uh, agree with exactly what what you said, and I just think I was just thinking there. It's just interesting to see how many of these discourses are lost within training years and years of, of teaching because you you've you've spoken about them at a really important factor about everyone's personality and ev- everyone before they go into teaching or during their training years has an idea of the teacher that they want to be how many teachers lose that identity and, and lose that passion and uh, drive to be that person they strive to be. And like you've touched on Mark and you've said about reluctance compliance, that obviously becomes a huge factor in teaching. And unfortunately, who's to say many of these teachers who have these visions then have these discourses that become narrow minded because it's end of the day, it's, it's about survival within the, yeah. within the industry. Yes, I mean, this is why it's important to try to disrupt these um, these common sense discourses, uh, what people understand and try try to uh, explore alternative and and try to incorporate, as you guys have said, your values, your different personalities, and it's perfectly fine um, not to be objective. Actually, we are subjects. We can't be objective we are subjects yeah. so uh we need we need to start pushing back when people say no you need to be objective well i can't i'm a human being i'm not a i'm not a table you a know robot, yeah. <laughs> exactly because yeah exactly i mean because if that's what we want we won't have teachers we'll have computers yeah that is that is a concern we do I mean, do you know I mean, what someone we, we do right now in, in, in education i've actually had i've actually had a conversation with someone before who is who was point blank said to me we don't need teachers we compute you can do everything online now and i was just like you know when you're just biting your lip like this is this yeah. this conversation isn't worth having right now. <laughs> you know, I was just like, okay, okay, well, yeah. it's a viewpoint. Um, then, yeah, on your way, mate. That's fine. But yeah, it's but that that's exactly what you're saying. You know, if we if we become objective, then that could that could be the end result. Um, mm. Which is which is a, a scary thought. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is obviously, and uh, although technology has improved, uh, it will. I don't want to say, okay, I won't say it will never. I don't think it will ever have consciousness. Um, and that's the difference between um, us and, and, and machines, isn't it? And mm. to be able to make the distinction between what is right and what is justifiable and what is humane and what is not. And there's, there's, quite a, there's been a, a role in, in Google over um, artificial, artificial intelligence and, and how artificial in, in, intelligence is racist. 
because okay. the people who made it is racist. Yeah. So, so definitely that's that's yeah. that's a thing. You can do a, a, a quick search on on racism and, yeah. and artificial artificial intelligence, and you'll see quite a lot how uh, even Google searches identify certain things as dangerous, which are basically uh, when there's black people, and if it's white people, it's not, and this sort of thing. So, oh, wow. nothing will be nothing will be objective. So, yeah, and. Obviously, obviously, um, in the end, children will will lose. Yeah, we won't. We won't let it happen, Mark. Don't worry. Do not worry. <laughs> we well, I, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be much happier with Apple either. I mean, <laughs> they are no, na- their neighbors. Yeah, their neighbors. This is true. Moving forward, Mark. Yes. What have you got coming up in the new year? Give us some. Give us some exclusives of some exciting research you've got going on. So I'm currently doing a research with uh, Tom Van Rossum that I think he's been oh. with you. He's not yet. Man Love like Tommy. Oh, not yet. Oh, You're chasing him. <laughs> he's, he's End the podcast. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's probably running or swimming or cycling. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm doing a research with Tom and Nicole Gridley. Nicole, if you don't know her, she's an amazing uh, psychologist. She's running the educational psychology degree, brand new educational degree um, at LBU as well. We're doing some work together. If you want to be in touch with her, let me know, and I'm sure she'll be happy to to have a chat with you. She's she's really good with yeah. parents. She's done quite a lot of research with uh, parents. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and we're doing research yeah. on first year undergrad experiences during COVID-19 pandemic. This is something that we have finished the data collection phase. We're in the middle of data analysis. So I, I cannot give you too much about, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, from January, I'll probably, we have a line, we have a plan done, we have the ethics cleared. And uh, we are doing. So I'm doing some research with Steve Burton, who's the head of initial teacher education on the daily practices. So how COVID-19 has affected uh, teacher training, particularly PGC students. So perhaps you'll hear from us. Uh, we'll be, we'll be ready, mate. Affect- we'll be ready. We don't mind how the survey. Has, <laughs> how it has affected, obviously, students, mentors, teachers, at, uh, lecturers at university, the changes that they had to make, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. uh, this is basically what I'm currently doing right now. I'm looking into as well because I'm I'm uh, I'm interested in participation, democracy, involvement of of children in in the decision making processes. That sounds that sounds uh, a bit of me. Oh, yes, I think I think it, it's right up your street <laughs> that. So how to involve how to involve children in the decision making process of everything that happens in in schools, right? Oh um, yes, I, that go. would be that would be really really interesting to do. Yeah. Uh, but I'm at early stages. I'm early stages. I'll, I need to think about where to do it, how to do it, who to involve, etc. You had me. You had me at participating. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll be in touch then. I'll be in touch. <laughs> but for the next two weeks, for the next two weeks, I hope to just turn Dude, off wait. my laptop. Relax. <laughs> turn Relax, off my laptop. Mate. And yeah. yes, and don't do anything. <laughs> just a quick side note, Tom, if you're listening, obviously you, you can now hear that Mark is on the podcast. You are on our list. We've we've not forgotten about you, so, so don't worry. We just be available and just make sure that you're yeah. ready. Yeah. When when saying. when we when we got the time, when we when we've planned planned it, you'll get the message, the nods in. That's it. That's how we roll. Mark knows. The message <laughs> the message is sent, the podcast is recorded. That's how we go. Short turnaround. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, 
Absolute yep. pleasure, mate, to get you on. <sighs> Covered so many topics there, which has been fascinating. Uh, I feel like the time's absolutely flown, to be honest. Like I say, if anyone wants to get in touch with us at the Teachers of Tomorrow on Instagram or at TFT Pod on Twitter, if you want to follow Mark, which I would highly recommend, uh, at Mark underscore Turo, Mark with a C, Turo, T-U-R-U, T-U-R-U, that is. And yeah, just great to catch up. Great to catch up on this platform. Uh, obviously, we have a, we've had a lot of conversations uh, informally, but they normally end up like this. So it's nice to actually get one recorded for a change. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure Sam, you'll follow on from me. But from from my end, Mark, thanks for coming on, mate, and thanks again for for the help that you've you know you've done with me and Sam and our journey, yeah. not just for the podcast, but into teaching. So you know, yeah, I'm very thankful and glad to be a, a colleague and a friend now as well. Very, yeah. very happy to be here with you guys. Uh, it was it was fantastic to see you and to to, to talk to you, obviously. And uh, to anyone who's listening, please be in touch if, if, if anything that we have discussed is interesting for you. And uh, just, you know, tweet something with my name and I'll, I'll be in touch with you. If you if I can be of any help, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. Always helping. It- do, do I need to say any more? What, what a man. Never stops helping. We'll, 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 we'll just end it there. Never stops helping, does he? Never stops helping. Right. Honestly, cheers, guys. Thanks for listening and uh, have a great evening. Cheers, guys. To get in touch with us following the latest podcast episode, head over to at the Teachers of Tomorrow on Instagram or over on Twitter via at TFT Pod. <laughs>